and welcome to the 76th episode. Is it actually the 76th? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, I fucked this up so badly. It actually is the 76th episode of Everyday Channel. <laughs> My name is Julian and I'm here with our regular co-host Matt Pavlik. Greetings. And a secret surprise that we're just gonna unveil in a minute. But Matt, how's it been going for you? Uh, I've been doing well. Um, coronavirus is taking over. And we're fighting the good fight to try and beat it back. And uh, we're winning-ish. <laughs> That's the kind of confidence you want from people involved in the, in the medical field. We are winning-ish. I mean, <laughs> have people... You, have you been in contact? With patients of suspected? Yeah, I mean, we have. Um, but we take all the necessary precautions. And so far, I haven't gotten sick. Or I've gotten sick and I didn't know it. Because there are no tests. So we'll see how everything goes. But... Uh, I have confidence that everything is going to be okay, but I think I'm like everyone else in that I would like everything to get back to normal. I will be the first person sitting in a brunch restaurant on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock ordering Eggs Benedict. <laughs> like you always do? I will, yes. I will I will be there ready to support my local businesses, and I have been trying my best to support my local brick and mortar stores by ordering products from them online. Dude, I remember when I came to, to Vancouver... Uh, three years ago by now and we went to that that awesome uh what was it like a restaurant or something on the beach that was so amazing I really oh wasn't it good eventually yeah i loved it like like the first day you actually took me to some kind of diner i almost want to say like a typical american diner where like the waitress she actually knew your name and knew what you wanted and then we played some some elves against some rhino nickfit deck there but yeah that was great and then i think on one of the last days we we went to the beach and had a good time there even though we didn't swim you actually taught me you never went swimming no, I think we drove we we drove the Porsche up to Whistler, right, and then back. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And you let me drive it on the way back. That was amazing. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. <laughs> one day, sure. Uh, once once the world has opened up again, and uh, you already mentioned you're supporting a brick and mortar store, so there's also no magic going on. And uh, I was about to say Kenya. No, sorry, in uh, Canada right now. <laughs> Not to my knowledge. No, it seems like all the stores are pretty much closed down. I know some people are playing by Skype with friends or Zoom, or I don't know what kids are using nowadays. But um, so that's Check been a little. <laughs> <laughs> they've been doing a little bit of that but uh it seems like a few more people have been jumping onto magic online and i i thought to myself that i might so we'll we'll see if there's any time that magic online would have a big boom i think now would be it yeah we actually saw the numbers that wizards put out um i think earlier today they announced that their revenue has actually grown as far as the player base has grown quite a bit primarily because of arena and i guess also because of magic online uh so yeah i guess for them that's Probably not an overall positive, but it could be worse for them, I guess. Yeah, I just miss shuffling. So, yeah. Oh, dude, I, I actually like I had to treat myself for for losing my addiction to shuffling because that was just something I, I couldn't put up with anymore. I, I was like visiting people, and I would bring a deck just so I could shuffle it while I was there. Like, what, dude, that's like. But that was like 13 years ago. I mean, that's gone now, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> you hope. And speaking of Magic Online, a lot of us are still playing Magic Online. But a lot of us also don't get to play Magic Online. So in uh, wanting to always present you a fresh take on what the metagame is like, what's going on in Magic, we decided to add a new host to Everyday Eternal. We still have Aragon, who couldn't make it tonight. But also now introducing to you a man who's got a special name from 
Scotland. His name is of early Christian origin because the dove was a symbol of purity, peace and the Holy Spirit. I present to you Calum Whitefaces Smith as our new co-host in Everyday Eternal. Hey Calum, how's it going? How does it feel to be the symbol of purity and peace? Ta-da! Yes, thank you very much for having me um, as a permanent host. I've always thought of myself as resembling those characteristics, so um, I'm glad you picked up on it. It's, it's in the subtle details of the name, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so. for our viewers who have no idea who the fuck you are, including myself, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I'm 29 from London, England. and Single? Single, yeah. Ready, waiting just for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've been playing Magic since like I was, I was like 14, 15. I remember buying like a booster pack of Tempest and opening a Lotus Petal. I very vividly remember thinking, wow, this card is absolutely terrible. It's just a land that dies once you use it. So I started pretty young, um, then kind of got into, not serious, but I was playing tournaments around when like madness was a thing. And then I took a pretty long break, but I came back in Innistrad. And before I took a break, I was re- very into Extended. And um, I kind of jumped straight back into leg- into Legacy when I got back into it because I liked the old cards. Like Lotus Petal. Like Lotus Petal. I can't believe how, I remember it so strongly that moment as well. It is a terrible card anyway. And, Honestly, uh, from my time, I feel like that, that Wasteland is the one thing you would open up and boost us a lot because it's uncommon and feel like, bad. this card is so is bad, this? you got to sacrifice it. And you can't even cast your colors now. Yeah. <laughs> but then I have a pretty addictive personality, so I kind of got into the game and deeper and deeper and more and more. And yeah, so now I just play all the time. I can't, I think about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. And that's why and I'm still single. <laughs> you put it together <laughs> although met <laughs> on as a pushback against that it was thanks to a girlfriend that i got back into it because i was with her for a few years and she always wanted to stay in and watch films on like friday and saturday nights and i always wanted to go out and party but to meet halfway i would stay in sometimes i got bored of staying in so i downloaded magic online again so, <laughs> and then we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of domesticated you, and that got you into Magic Online. Exactly. <laughs> she had no idea what she was getting into when she no, said that. God, no, God, absolutely no idea. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me, or, or the best, I'd say. Awesome, man. But that's actually also like a major reason I wanted to have you on. Not only because like you're a great guy, like we've we've met each other like several times by now. Yeah. Like, to me, you are one of the driving forces when it comes to innovation on Magic Online. Like, I, I guess we can talk about a couple of the decks that you've been working on in the past. But overall, like, I feel when when there's something new coming up these days, I always feel like, oh, my God, that's probably like Caleb who has been involved in that. And, like, to to be on the, I want to say, like, the cutting edge of, of what's going on in Magic Online, I think that's why I'm so happy that we got you as an additional host to the show now so we can, like, stay closer to what's going on there. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not like a purposeful thing that i try and i don't always try and make decks on purpose i kind of i get bored of decks very easily i jump between things and if there's nothing new or exciting that kind of piques my interest then i kind of start making up my own things and i do look at like metagames and like the best performing decks and think okay what is the best card or single strategy to attack that and then start building from there so yeah my mind is like always thinking about the format and always thinking about new cards and always thinking about these things so it kind of feels like it comes quite naturally and there's i promise you there's a lot of failed experiments as well (laughs) like i don't have time to play everything but i do i make a lot of decks and kind of just map them out and build them on magic online and just goldfish sometimes and think 
yeah, every now and then some some work out. Like on the last cast, we talked about the Titan Dryad deck. That was a, I think it's still doing some results and stuff. So like sometimes they just they build themselves a lot of the time. But some decks are harder to build. So it's yeah, it's also what I enjoy most about that game. I like playing. I like doing well in events. But really. I don't consider myself a super um, competitive player. I like building new decks and doing weird, cool things. Oh, okay. So, Kadem, you, you know what I always find fascinating? I've known you as as a Miracles guy, right? You, when Top Miracles was around, there there was this, well, they call themselves Cabal, but I don't really th know that's appropriate. But the yeah, Philip Schoeniger fan this, club? <laughs> yeah, but, but, but that came basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... After Top Miracles was gone, I feel like there's this huge force of creativity, dynamic, like competitive spirit that was like released onto Legacy because of like all those people they, they didn't have a deck anymore. And I don't know why, but somehow a lot of them got lost in Nickfit and we never really heard from them again. Uh, others like I tried to make Miracles work that. for. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs to my friend Tomasz Flachek. Anyway, um, some of them got lost in, in like trying to still make Miracles work. And then, then we have like guys like you who, who are like everywhere. Like, I think the only thing I've never really seen you play was maybe Delva. Have you like ever like played a lot of Delva? Or has it I played against something? you with Delva in a GP actually. In GP <gasps> oh, Prague. Oh, there was GP Prague 2016. Yeah. yeah, I was playing four color Delva, and I fork bolted you. But then I lost the next two sideboard games. But <laughs> oh my god, yes, yes, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I played. So yeah, I, I was introduced to a lot of the online community through Miracles stuff because I always liked, I, when I was getting into Legacy further, I wanted to learn about it more. And I found that playing every single deck is the best way to learn it. This is why I kind of skip between decks so much because I always want to learn them by playing them myself and then I can learn how to attack them more. It's a classic way of doing things. And um, Miracles was one of the last decks I actually picked up to to learn its it. But uh, I eventually got around to it and I found out that I just loved playing it. it was, there were so many decisions. It was really fun. So I carried on playing it for longer. And then apparently I got enough results with it that I, I was like kind of started talking to the Miracles Cabal, as you say. And was it, I was shoved in there. And um, you're right, when Top got banned, no one could believe it. And then we kept trying to make it work. And it was myself and Nicholas Lalo, was, it is unfair, that I would say rebuilt Miracles. We discovered Portent. We added Unexpectedly Absent, which wasn't great admittedly but yeah that was where like the first kind of creative thing started i think honestly and it was that feeling of you know starting a new starting from scratch making something yourself and then just playing it so much and changing things so much that eventually you got to a place you're happy with that was very fulfilling i guess i'm just still always looking for that like always wanting something new something to experiment on if something's solved like delver is it actually quite exciting at the moment? But before that, it felt very solved. Like, it is just a pile of good cards. Like, with Renin 6 came along, okay, you just put red and green cards, the threats that make sense. And before that, you had, like, any any color combination, you just pick the best threats from those colors, and then you have the rest built for you. So it, it doesn't really excite me, although the gameplay is quite deep. So, um, yeah. But before Miracle, I played lots of Delva, and that was, again, learning the format. Played it for... Maybe a couple of years, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. And can you tell us some more about um, what do you do in your free time? What what are you doing right now? So I work for a music company, and I'm very heavily into music. Like I would, this might surprise you, but I would say I'm almost 
do more things with music than magic. Like I go to, well, obviously not at the moment, but I'd usually go to about three or four gigs per week. And I've been doing that since I was 14, 15. Uh, I'm always going out on the weekends and stuff, going to, so, and I'm always listening to music constantly, uh, even at work, just <laughs> music, music, music. So yeah, that's, that's what I do. Even during, during magic matches, you, you got your headphones on, you're like listening <laughs> to music, you're, like your opponent can't communicate oh with you. You just like shake your head and something's not resolving. <laughs> Chat comes <laughs> over. You're like, you, you pull out a card, get out of jail free or whatever. That's <laughs> what you points do. at the counterbalance. No, 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 nothing resolves. <laughs> do you ask the judge what his converted mana cost is? <laughs> you flip it. <laughs> uh, Imagine if, if a judge comes over for something and you actually you flip the top card and it's a picture of them because you were like some kind of magician. <laughs> like that, that would be something else. Just talk to the hand. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> so yeah, um, that involves a lot of traveling as well. Music, I go to festivals abroad, everything. So actually between going to like GPs and MKMs and stuff and then festivals for music, it's pretty full on, I'll admit. So it's, it can be a little bit uh, draining, but overall, both of them, I love it. So keeping at it. And do you also break the metagame of music? <laughs> you, you, play, you also make music, right? You don't yeah, only I, like a 10 gigs? I play in a band. We, we like toured Europe last year, and uh, we have a new album coming out pretty soon, as soon as this COVID situation is over. So yeah, pretty active there as well. Awesome. So you said you you like trying out new stuff uh seeing how like throwing stuff against the wall seeing what sticks and i would guess you'd be pretty excited for for what's going on in the metagame right now because ever since companions were introduced uh, i, I want to say this has been like one of the biggest things like i've been playing legacy since 2005 six ish and this has been like one of the biggest changes ever like i don't even want to call it a change because everybody feels like okay this is just like a period and it's surely gonna go away again uh, but like right now there's there's a lot of things going on and if you like if you haven't gotten to play with those yet because they they released on magic online i think two weeks ago and they will only be released in paper in two weeks dude like there's there's some heavy stuff coming your way especially in the form of the what's it called cat nightmare what is Lurus? Uh, what's the Lurus the dr- of the dream den the dream den yeah that's how it works yeah. companions uh, are for anyone that hasn't played with them yet think that they're insane from the beginning and then you start seeing all the results coming in which we'll get to soon and then they're even better than you thought they'll think of everyone hyping them up even more because they see the results and then i think they might be better than that as well they are like i mean it's really hard to understand how strong an extra card is but when you get to a format like legacy that's so defined by every card is so powerful like it just redefines how you play like the the best performing deck is delver now with Lurus. And it was a pretty easy show in, like, you just have to cut some of the three-drop threats, which were never that good in Delver anyway, I think. And um, what you can down do is you just, like, play your Disruption on Curve, and then you play your Lurus. Like, it's just a th- you always start with a threat in your hand. So, um, I mean, we can get into the other companions soon as well. So I think, yeah, paper players, I'm sure they're all at home and, like, watching the online results and seeing it and r- watching streams. But if you haven't been properly introduced to them yet, it's going to be a bit of a wake-up call. So, But on the flip side, as you said, I like making new things. I like brewing. I like, I like, I love formats changing, actually. I love shake-ups. I love bans and unbans usually. But I completely understand why the general legacy community doesn't, because it's very expensive. Um, right now is a brewer's paradise. Like... You say there is there is Lurus is completely overpowered, and we have some numbers as well of how much is being played. 
And it's been played in like lots of decks. There's Delver, there's Grindy uh, decks, there's Steel Stompy, there's... I'd have to put up something, I'm running out of names right now. I mean, there's there decks to play it. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of different sub-archetypes within that as well. So it's... I, I think we're only still not scratching the surface. We're, we're getting fairly deep, but there's a lot of things to do, like... We've only just in the last week or so started to see Miracles play Lurus, which I think is very strong. We'll continue to like, I think that's going to be the natural check to Delver. And then I've been trying like check pile. Max Gilmore gave me the idea to give it a go. And that feels very strong versus Delver as well. So you just cut like Jace and the three mana walkers, which were never good anyway. Then you have Lurus to back up these hymns and snapcasts and Belfal Strixes and stuff. Yeah, it really feels like the time of Chase has come to an end and Lurus is now actually accelerating this. You're already at Oko and now you can't play Oko on those decks anymore. So this is really like, I almost want to say like a protect the queen strategy with Lurus, with, yeah. the, uh, with the occasional win where you don't even need Lurus, right? You, you can just out-tempo them and Completely. later on you just go on and drop your Lurus with, with a Caracas and it's worth like, noting they have to that- spend like two remover spells and then they are still down like one or two cards depending on how you want to count companions. Yeah, it's it's Wilderus is so good. It's not because it's like a three-two lifelink threat. It's that's part of it, but it's worth noting the enabler for Lurus is Mishra's Bauble. So Mishra's Bauble is a zero mana artifact that you can sacrifice to target either player, and you look at the top card of that player's library. And at the beginning of the next upkeep, you draw a card. So it's a pretty innocuous little card. You can do some cool things with fetch lands, like you can look at your top card if you want it. You can play a non-fetch land to use mana, or if you play a fetch land, you get to scry it away basically. But Lurus allows you to recast it from the graveyard. So as soon as you find your first bauble and play Lurus, you've now you're now drawing two cards per turn, which as you know in Legacy, that's really powerful. Like people have played many things to try and get actual raw card advantage. Um, so that's that's the big enabler for Lurus, in my opinion. So now you're seeing decks like Delver, control decks, any deck with Lurus is basically playing the baubles. Then replaying creatures later is just the the next level up. But even at the very base, you just have a three mana threat that's always in your hand that draws an extra card and then you can protect it with caracas like it it goes deeper and deeper and you can do more and more things yeah i kind of want to say like if there's one thing that's telling how powerful lures is is then it's that for example daniel gutchel made put out like the first big lures driver deck list which was grixis and that grixis list like grixis colors they played two main deck caracas yeah and I guess that's all you need to know about how good Lurus is because this way, like, if you get Lurus with, with Caracas down, it's just the most annoying thing in the world, like we mentioned. And it's just so good, like drawing two cards a turn. And even like you mentioned that, that the 3-2 lifelink body isn't, that that's not why we're playing it, right? I still yeah. notice that it's actually like kind of good, like it basically it's, negates the Delver. Like you, you, I mean, in the end it plays out that the Delver is not going to attack and then you're not going to attack because they'd happily trade the Delver. But that still means that the Delver has been negated, right? So, totally. It, the body does what you want in every deck as well. It's like in a control deck, lifelink is amazing. In a in Delver, three three powers, not nothing to sniff at. So um, yeah, the body's far from irrelevant. It's just uh, it's it's the whole package. It's just it's it kind of looks like an innocuous card, right? But it just when you start seeing it played, I will say for the for the Caracas, I was talking to Daniel and helping build the deck at the beginning as well. And it was actually mostly there to beat Euro. I was pretty sure that you couldn't beat Euro Snow decks without Caracas as Delver, unless you play like a Splash for Source of Plowshares or something. It's really hard to beat as Delver, basically. So Caracas was 
my answer to Uru. And there was another one in the sideboard, but now it's just become stock and it's so good with Lurus. And now you're facing opposing Lurus's all the time. So I think this, we've, it's weird. We've never seen a legacy format where Caracas is so good. Yeah, it's there's amazing. also Geruda, right? The, the big uh, yeah. Demon Kraken. That if that you go Tournament Caracas, I, I guess we can talk about the deck in a bit, but yeah. that's also like a really big incentive to to play Caracas. Yeah, it's just amazing right now. So yeah, that that's Lurus for you. Um, it it has put Delva, I want to say, almost in the mid range category, right? Like previously, the way Delva, like the way you would beat Delva was to eventually run them out of cards because Delva wouldn't have any kind of card advantage, and then the mid game you you could just beat them. But now it's like Delva drawing two cards a turn in a lightning bolt or, or a of plowshares, depending on whether you play Cheskai or Grixis, is still a lightning bolt or a bolt or of plowshares. So the deck can actually grind you out pretty well if you don't have a way to beat Lurus. It's even uh, better so than that. It's 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 got this grindy mid-range potential, as you say, but you don't have three drops in your deck, so you can have these double Delver draws and your whole deck is just cheap spells, so you can completely Delver people as well. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's that's what people were like were also saying, right? When Lurus was spoiled, and that's also um like part of the deck building philosophy now. You don't need that many like haymakers anymore. Like Delva is fine, but like the, the big zombie fish, for example, would be like a big thing or true nemesis. Yeah. Now you always have your haymaker in your opening hand. And that's your eighth card in hand for almost no cost. Like depending on which deck you play, it might be a cost that you can't play like CMC three or higher for, for your permanence. But for Delva, this is the dream. Like you, you have like your your thing that keeps you going in the mid game while still having the possibility to to have those broken early game draws. And now Delva like flips even more, I guess. I mean that's that's a minor thing, but it's also there. Like it's just so many still tiny things. Yeah. Everything adds up. So it's no surprise that we actually see Grixis Delva at the top of the meta game right now. Uh, I, I ran the numbers for the first four legacy challenges that have been played ever since. And we have Grixis Delva at 20% of the meta game right now, which is absolutely insane. I remember when we were That's talking huge. about, about Delva being like 9% or something. You get Grixis Delva at 20%. And I mean, that's only Grixis Delva. If you, if you add Cheskai Delva, which is like the second evolution or the first evolution, depending on how you want to count it, that JPA93 used to win the Legacy Challenge and the Legacy Super Finals Qualifier Playoff and the Olympics or whatever. Like, he won basically everything with Cheskai Delva. And he, he, that's he also something at 13-3 run, I think. Which is huh? pr- he went on a run that was like 13-3 or something. It's pretty insane. It's, yeah, not yeah. it's not bad. It's not bad. It's okay. <laughs> like he's he's basically considered the end boss of legacy by now. But yeah, he's he's been really proving his title to to that extent. I want to say, even though he, he, I guess he's still sad that he can't really play sneak and show. He told me because there's oh not me but Twitter because there's Caracas everywhere right now, and that's a problem. But yeah, like Grixis Delva, Cheska Delva. Like I've played both. Uh, I have put leaks with both on YouTube, and I actually felt like Cheska Delva was even better. It's just like. I guess we can talk about the difference uh, in decks right now and like what makes them so different because Grixis Delva, of course, has like this card. Cheskai Delva has sorts of plowshares. And super interestingly to me, like Meddling Mage, was, which has like become a main deck card for it now. That's can another reason why Sneak like Show is struggling a lot. But yeah, um, I think Jeskai is the second evolution. Is this the second deck? Like it's the evolution from Grixis. Grixis Delva was the level one because you need to play white or black for Lurus, obviously. And Delver being able to like cut down on threats and then just play Thoughtseize's additional disruption was pretty appealing. And there's always been like some hesitation to play Source of Plowshares in your Delver deck. But um, I think people started to see that 
the the grindy mid range potential of Alluris lets you actually you know, bolster that plan and play slower threats and more like um, niche threats like Medley Mage or Lavinia, who are pretty bad versus control typically usually, but um, better versus combo. But that people are realizing that Lurus is so strong that grinding other decks out, you can you can make these small sacrifices to shore up combo. So I think and source of is really key in the mirrors because obviously Lurus recasts stuff from the graveyard. So if you bolt or fatal push a Dreadful Darkness, that's gonna later get Lurus back at some point, and so you start to see the exile clause really relevant. And otherwise the blue-red shell is just insane. You still have the lightning bolts and pyroblasts that I think you always need. But um, the other cool thing with Medley Mage is why it's good is partly because of Mishra's Bauble and the companion mechanic. So against opposing uh, companion decks, you can just name their companion, like against Garuda or Zerda and stuff. And Mishra's Bauble, you can just like bauble them, see the top card of their library, and then name that. Like it's it's pretty relevant actually. It's come up quite a few times I've played against the deck. They see a random card in my deck they would never usually name, but they know that they can play a threat that also thought seizes me. So, I'm not surprised. It's basically it's your, your two mana thought nuts, yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. Of, that also puts yeah. us to far so far. <laughs> Could even take more. I've had someone like, I mean, just a bit quick anecdote. I was playing Zerda deck and I had two Khan Sign of Urza in hand. And they bobbled me, played a mage on Khan Sign of Urza, and obviously I drew a third. It's like so brutal. <laughs> But, yeah, um, Im imagine if you if you have two of them in hand and they bobble yeah like basically what happened to you right exactly. and they bobble you and they name it and you're oh. like fuck this can only mean one thing it's like oh my god it's exactly <laughs> the same as when someone like like forces your cabal therapies you the on one turn and sees another card and then you top deck another one of the card they're obviously going to name next always uh, happens yeah. yeah yeah so yeah this this is really good also Lavinia is a card that's like It has existed in Legacy in the past, but nobody really played it. And I've gotten, like, I really got to appreciate it in the Delver Mirrors, funny enough, because the clause that people can't play spells for free, basically, what I totally forgot first uh, in the beginning was that that means they cannot force a fill. I, I mean, force a fill is, is pretty clear because they don't have enough lands anyway. Um, but they can also not daze you because if you if they alternate cost daze you, that's a free spell. So the Vinya basically makes your spell staze proof, which is a nice That's, yeah. that's to, okay. To watch your that's not bad. It stops their baubles as well. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to have a couple of Lavinias arriving at my home in the, in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's also another threat to protect with Caracas. Like it, it's it's another one of these niche things where it does these like really annoying things. It's Delva's almost becoming this prisony deck as well, right? With Lavinia, Medley Mages, and stuff. It's it starts to like kind of Waste old school days. threshold. Yeah, kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Old school, like old school threshold. Also, would would sometimes play a little bit more of a mid rangey game and and get some value of uh, like stuff like fire and ice and, and and such. It's 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 that, but much more mid rangey and much more powerful. I guess I guess legacy has in general in the last two years especially gotten a lot more power compared to what it used to be, and that's also like the the thing that a lot of people are unhappy with. But I think lures puts it over the top um we i also ran the numbers for example on on how many companions are being played and thus far it looks like uh, i think 70 percent of decks have been playing lures actually i got it over here yeah companions have been played in 70 percent of the top 32 decks of the last four challenges and lures is by far the most played companion like of all the companion decks lures is in 73 percent of companion decks 
or in total in like more than half, like in 66 out of the 124, 128 decks. So Lurus is in more than half the decks of Legacy right now. Don't don't worry though, he's balanced. He's fine. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> these these numbers are just absolutely unreal. And we, we've only had these cards for two weeks online. This is absolutely... I've never seen anything close to it in any... So Deathrite... It feels like... Yeah. Like Deathrite Shaman pres- uh, penetration was what? 15%? 20%? Uh, I think that it was a little bit more. But like, right. nowhere close to that, to that right? Yeah. Basically, that's the conclusion I'm drawing here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Deathrite is banned because it's too good. And this is now companions in 70% of decks. It's just... I mean, we we got to put a little... Um, bit of pinch of salt this is from four premier events so far so we could see things balancing out but i don't see it personally yeah there's two things that are influencing the numbers as well uh, especially for the earlier challenge like the very first challenge had the lowest penetration of of companions but they were also harder to get by so ever since we've been seeing the the metagame share of the companions increase with every single challenge but of course there's also the second factor that people really want to try that right and uh, especially mm-hmm. since it's only happening online right now. People have to buy into the hype. They want to try it and they, they want to see how it works. Whereas I feel, like in, I feel like in paper, people are more hesitant. It's also harder to randomly switch a deck in paper. So now we're in this unique situation where the meta game is building entirely online. And I think trends are much more pronounced if you play in an online setting as opposed to like your, your LGS or even like your MKM. Like if you go to an MKM, uh, I guess they call themselves Carp Market now. I would guess that something like 40%, maybe 60%, like I really can't tell you, but around half the people at any given big tournament have been locked into their deck choice from for like months because that's just what they play, maybe even years. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't be like this and jump on card order and randomly like grab a deck and play that. So I think... That's been my experience at those are, events as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think trends are always going to be much more pronounced and extreme on uh, in online events. And I think when when we talk about like the impact of companions, we really like primarily speak about Lurus. Like like I mentioned, it's it's more than half half the decks and like by far the most played companion. And but when's the last time we actually saw a card slot into control decks, aggro decks, even like storm decks? Right now, uh, like if I'm looking back, maybe mental misstep. Like that was basically yeah, mental one. misstep. I would say yeah, that's like, a similar card that would be slotted into basically every deck you could possibly fit it into. I can't think of any others, really. Pop I mean, Death Road Shaman was in almost all of those, but not, like, combo decks and stuff. You could but. say Ponder, I guess, but it's going pretty far Yeah, back. yeah, yeah. Like, Martin Monasek was actually trying out Death Road Shaman in, in, uh, at Nauseam Tendrils right before it was banned, so we never really got to see that, but, I mean, that, that tells I'm sure it would have been just fine. Yeah, it's like a Lotus Petal that also, like, reduces the, the storm count that you need, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, I just, for me, my my biggest problem with this card is I read it at first and I didn't really read the companion part. I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty solid. Like, you know, you can cast something for the, like, this is a very solid, and I was like, oh, wait, what? This companion mechanic, what, what, what's going on here? And that's when I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And here we are. Yeah, I think the, the idea behind companion and I, uh, is basically, okay, people like Commander, and we want those to be like I would guess like I'm, I'm totally reading between the lines there but I think that Wizards has some kind of interest of, of like get, bringing those people closer together like hey you, you can play Commander basically in, in constructed formats now it's like okay but 
something I saw on uh, what's it called that that blog site where where Blocker Talk where Mark Rosewater speaks about uh, his thoughts on the game, and he was asked uh, whether he thinks that replayability and like like oh, but, oh let me phrase it that way, Mark Rosewater was asked. Be- about something he has said a couple of years ago where he was asked whether he would consider it a good thing if people could make sure that they would always have a certain card in their opening hand. And back then he saw he said that that would be horrible, that people wouldn't like that, that mm-hmm. the gameplay would get too repetitive. And somebody quoted that to him and then he was like, yeah, I th- I, that, that's what I like believed at the time. But then EDH players told me otherwise. And like... That's, well, because EDH basically. players want to jam that one janky combo in their deck all day, every day. I'm not trying to generalize, but, you know, when I played EDH, that was what I was trying to do. It's like, oh, I've got this, like, grave-packed, sadistic hypnotist, you know, whatever combo that I was doing. And it's like, all I wanted to do was that one thing, because it was fun, and you get to blow people out. But, I don't know. I just didn't feel like that's what I want with Legacy. This is an argument a friend of mine from London, Patrick's been saying. He thinks that it's because of, you know, Wizards are you know, putting out so much more supplemental product for EDH and everything. And it's, but it's their biggest format by far, I'm pretty sure. And so he's saying they're trying to pull people into Legacy a bit more from those crowds. Uh, Probably not Legacy, right? No, I mean, they're trying to get EDH players a little bit more interested in Legacy, potentially. Or, or you're right, you, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm pigeonholing on Legacy. Yeah, modern as well. Standard <laughs> and, yeah. There's other formats? Wait, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. But they're trying to get EDH players more interested in Constructed by giving them this way of playing. But I think they just kind of... They could have done it in... Well, I guess we could go down a deep rabbit hole on how they could make them less powerful. But yeah, that's the, one the thing. thing is... To, to me, I don't hate, like, the power level of lures especially is absurd. And it's it's actually quite interesting how, I want to say, like, 90% plus of the format agrees that it will have to go at some point. Um, but the general idea of, of having something like a companion, I don't hate. Like, it's, it's kind of cool almost. To me, the problem is there's no decision to be made. Like, you play lures just because it it's the most broken thing you can do with a companion and with other decks like Geruda that's just like it builds the entire deck and I don't want the companion to heavily defined, define the deck like be a combo component like we have right now with Zelda or, or um, Geruda and I don't want it to be a no-brainer to include the companion and that being said I also don't want it to be hybrid mana but I guess that's what Wizards was actually going for like you notice that all of them are hybrid yeah. so they are really like looking to draw the largest possible crowd into mm-hmm. to playing them so my idea for companions basically make it super niche make it playable probably in tribal decks like I don't know Fs, goblins some kind of obscure tribe but still make it a decision. Like have the have the restriction on it be something so that you would have like the companion goblin deck and the regular goblin deck. And it's gonna be so hard to balance that because you're not only balancing for legacy, but you're balancing basically for I don't know, seven different formats at the time. But that's that would be my idea because it would be kinda cool if you sat down and actually had more variety because now you're not only playing against the goblin guy you're playing against the goblin guy who is squee as his companion or something or as their companion that's that that would be like my idea for companion to to add more diversity mm-hmm. but for, for competitive formats especially once you get to formats like legacy who are pretty cutthroat and what's playable and whatnot 
it's so hard to strike a competitive balance with those. And I mean, Lurus is like way off the scale. But if Lurus didn't exist, I'm not sure we would actually be having this conversation about like banning the entire mechanic. Like Geruda, yeah, Geruda is the Kraken that, that basically like makes all those copies of itself. But I think we would still be more talking about individual cards that might be annoying. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like the impact of Lurus has been so intense and, and so strong that it almost overshadows most of the other things it's going on. Like, from the top of my head, there's like Lurus, Sirda, Geruda, and, and then what? I guess, I guess Yorian, the Sky Snake, that makes everybody play horrible decks. Yeah, it, that's, that's the thing. I will add a caveat to all the doom and gloom we're spreading of how busted and horrible companions are. I've really had this much fun making and brewing decks, and the actual gameplay is fantastic. So I can like expand that a little bit by saying building with restrictions is really fun because you don't just have access to like all the best cards. You can't just put something silly like Oko in your deck because it's a good card. You really do have to kind of work around you think okay because i don't have access to plague engineer i need to play a worse kind of sweeper if i'm in these colors or like it does come with interesting restrictions the restrictions for luris are just not anywhere near enough like if it if it said any card rather than permanence you can play force of will that'd be very cool um zerda is also a bit too easy to kind of work around but the clauses for garuda and Obosh, I think it is the odd one. I think that's really interesting. You can only build with even or odd decks. Like if um, if we had more things like that, it could be very interesting as well. Like you say, tribal ones could be really cool. There is a tribal one for it's the I forgot the name. It's a wolf thing. Oh, could, you you mean the cat nightmare? I don't even know that. The, it's like seven it pumps different... your elementals, cats, dinosaurs, and stuff. I, think I played against that. Cat, I re- elemental, I re- like nightmare, dinosaur, or beast. Yeah, exactly. I think this card is very cool because you can't then just throw in any random good stuff creatures. They need to meet some restrictions and stuff, and it's not an, not an overly powerful card. So I think this kind of falls under what you were saying you wanted, Julian. But um, yeah, they just kind of pushed the boat out a little bit too far. But back to the gameplay. So Delver has gotten so many new tools over the last few years, like Force of Negation, Plague Engineer, Dreadhold Arcanist, um, plethora of like cheaper removal spells and stuff. And so it's becoming just more and more of a good stuff deck to an extent. Until now we have this restriction because we were seeing Bug Delver with Oko and Rug Delver with Oko and stuff as well. But now without bombs, without access to bombs apart from Lurus itself, the games are becoming really scrappy. You're, you're fighting for these small incremental advantages. Once again, you're rewarded for holding that brainstorm till turn seven or eight because you'd now put back two lands and so you're up an action card versus your opponent. Whether rather than if you have stuff like Oko that snowball fast, turn three or four you brainstorm and you find your trump and you can just like out tempo your opponent. So the Delver Mirrors are super interesting now and I love it. And I find this game. I mean, I. I interrupted you too early. Sorry, I thought you were done, and now I feel like an asshole. So I'll let- <laughs> I can finish quickly. I was yeah. going to say that the gameplay extends to the f- the mid range and control decks as well. It just the snow still exists, and I think it's still pretty good against Delver with your Okos and Uros and stuff. But even though the decks are overpowered, to me these companion mirrors are a lot more enjoyable to play than the like like huge bombs like smacking into each other of again the oko mirrors and stuff yeah i can totally agree with that like i can really really confirm that like the mo- i've had 
I've had so much fun playing both both Grixis Diver and Chess Guy Diver, especially in the mirror matches. And if you want to check that out, I got that on my on my YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash it's studio 23. And I think that's the big, big upside. Like these matches have like I can't really say like become chess matches, but they they the diver mirror has slowed down quite a bit. And it feels less... I mean, you still get blown out by sometimes, like, you, you get that Diver, Days, Wasteland, Forest, whatever draw. But a lot of times, these decks become, like, much more mid-rangey, like we talked about. Like, I sometimes don't even, like, kill a Delva right away because I feel like, okay, I really gotta hold this removal spell for, for Dreadhought Arcanist, which, by the way, I think is one of the five most influential cards in Legacy right now. Uh, like, we, we used to have this thing, like, 15 years ago, where your deck had to survive the Goblin Lackey test. And if your deck couldn't, like, handle a Goblin Lackey on turn two, or turn one, depending on, like, when, whether you lost a coin flip, then your deck was not viable. And I think right now we're at a point, if your deck can't consistently present at least a way to deal with Dreadhought Arcanist on turn two, your deck might not be viable. You can deal with that by basically playing a deck that doesn't care about additional removal spells or that doesn't care about like your opponent getting an extra ponda or something like in the short term. But you gotta deal with Dreadhought Arcanist and that's just such a big thing. Like whenever I build or modify a deck right now, that card is on the forefront of my mind. So I think that's that's one of the odds yeah, I agree with that. right now. The card is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I was just gonna say that my you were talking about building with deck building restrictions, right? And how yeah. much more interesting that can be. Well, you know what my favorite deck building restriction is? Not playing blue. That's a deck building restriction. That's you're, so you're play, <laughs> That's you've a, got a really crazy one. deck building restriction and no companion. Exactly. Well, I was actually looking at this beast one, beast and cats, and I'm like, wait, is Siege Rhino a beast? Or is it an elephant? What is it? An elephant, dude. I mean, it's really about time you come to Kenya, man. <laughs> if you think that Siege Rhino could be an elephant. <laughs> oh, my God. Is it a rhino? it's probably a rhino i mean what i was like a rhino <laughs> yeah rhino rogue oh my God. <laughs> yeah <laughs> a siege rhino is a rogue I, I like it but yeah like you, you mentioned deck building restrictions and i think that that's basically the thing that has been a discussion yeah. lately and and magic in general do restrictions breed creativity and people like th- there's two answers to this like yes it breeds creativity and no, if the restriction is, like, so harsh that there's really, like, only one thing you can do, then, like, it actually stifles creativity. Uh, because, you, like, the payoff you get from Lurus is it's, so it's, big. That it's a very delicate balance. You need to, like, find it somewhere in the middle. I think the the, yeah. the problem with, like, if you overshoot how, how easy it is to build with this restriction, then you're just going to, like, as we're seeing now with Lurus completely dominating, it complete, it's really, really shoving out any almost any non-companion decks. And that's the like the restriction on the format, if you will. So yeah, let's actually look at, at which decks are the most played non-companion decks. And in our numbers here, we got Eldrazi at... Five, what, I think. Said? Oh, God, I have to go down. Yeah, Eldrazi at like 5%. And then we got Rock Delver and Blue Red Delver. Four and three. What is, I guess the reason Rock Delver doesn't play it is because it like, does kind of hurt the cost. It's just like two off-colors. That's too hard. And the same for Blue Red Delver. And those are the only Diver decks we also see being played. Like, Rock Diver is consistently still putting up good numbers. And I think part of that is that Tarmogoyf is actually, like, the biggest thing happening in Legacy right now. And there's, at least in the Diver mirrors, there's, like, few things to actually stop it outside of... Yeah, is great. Sorts of Plowshares, which have, often, I think huh? Jeskai has two sorts of Plowshares, generally, in the main deck so far. Maybe, main, yeah. maybe the other two in the sideboard. But Goyf is amazing. 
We could also mention now that the very last legacy challenge was the finals was a Delver mirror, but check this bug Delver with Nimble Mongoose. So this was Bob Huang versus, um, I can't remember the name of the player, but someone that plays Delver all the time. Uh, so if we got it, but they, I know they're a very, very strong Delver player. So both of these players have identified that these Delver mirrors aren't defined by bombs. They're defined by grinding through removal, which is lightning bolts and source power shares, mm-hmm. and come to the conclusion that Nimble Mongoose is loose again. Sorry to say that, I have to. <laughs> but um, Nimble Mongoose <laughs> is just fantastic. Like, a 3-3 matches up against the Medley Mages and the Lavinias, all these 2-2s. Two like, it trades with Lurus, it trades with the Delver, but outside of that, they have, like... These decks have engineered explosives as well as an answer that's very mana-intensive and slow. And so they were playing Stifle as well. So I think both Bob and this other player very, very wisely recognized that this is another way to kind of one-up the, the Delver Mirrors. And this was on Sunday, so the last like legacy event we have results from. Yeah. So we could definitely see, we see more. I mean, and it's not happening anymore that people play like a one black mana, five, five zombie fish that will basically stonewall your Nimble Mongoose yeah. and make it look stupid. Like being a three, three or, and or having Tarmogoyf is like the biggest thing going on in the format right now. And especially Mongoose, you mentioned how, how you're looking to blank the removal spells. A friend of mine played against Bob in the challenge and he also mentioned that he basically died against Mongoose with like two or three removal spells in hand, which technically in a Delver mm-hmm. would be amazing, right? You, you can just like take out that stuff, land your, your, your own dude or something. But if you, if you just keep taking damage of the Mongoose, which is basically mm-hmm. untouchable, like the worst thing that could happen if if it trades for, I guess, Lurus, which is like, you'd be happy to this see. This is your one-drop right, trading but... with their bomb. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think I think there's a good chance we actually see this, see Bugdelver start to rise to the top. Because, yeah, as you say, uh, Tarmogoyf is amazing as well. And both players even, I believe, had Stifle as well. Like, they're really, really going under. And I wouldn't be surprised if this deck, like, incorporates a Loam or two. And even, like, maybe the old-school John Alexander tech of Ghost Quarter or two. Like, there's very few basic lands outside of the control <laughs> decks. So I could see them morphing into this Mongoose control deck in the mirrors, which... Because the Jeskai mirrors are actually coming down to decking a lot of the time, which is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, has it? Like, I've played a couple of leagues with it, and I noticed that it's, like... I think I pride myself at playing very, very fast. Like, I think... Uh, let's yeah. not into that. I, I think I do that. So, anyway, I noticed that on Magic Online, I've had much more games come down to, like, barely timing out. Like, either player, my, sometimes even myself, than than used yeah. to be before, because, like, the, the games went so They're much They're very, longer. very scrappy. Like, both decks just have more removal than threats, even with Lurus, like, rebuying some of them. So, I... So- what you're saying then is that you know archive trap or hedron crab are going to be the next tech (laughs) oh my god you can hedron crab rebuy it with lyris again keep going yeah you had me at hello (laughs) you get like two hedron crabs down and you you get a fetch land and you basically mill them for guess what i'm building Yeah, imagine if Lurus would actually allow you to play to play lands from the graveyard. So actually, you, you know, there's some kind of creativity going on with Lurus that I kind of like. Like for example, we've seen Dead Weight come into into the format now because it's basically a reusable a removal spell with Lurus, which also goes back to like how small everything is. So you can uh, like it goes to the graveyard, then you can replay it. And at the ver- very worst, like it turns off uh, a Dreadhought Arcanist because it reduces the the power to actually yeah, minus it seems one. Great. <laughs> so yeah. that's something I like. And it's like a pump squeeze yeah. even bigger. A little bonus. Yeah, super good card in the deck. Oh, yeah. 
So we talked a lot about Luris, but Caleb, what are the other companions that have been making a splash in Legacy lately? I know you and XJ Cloud have been working a lot of on Zerda, and I also like I jumped into into the on, onto the Zerda train. I want to say I played a couple of leagues with it, been having a lot of fun with it. And for those wondering, this is the one for basically Boros mana, like two Boros and a colorless that makes all your activated abilities cost two less. It's basically power artifact, yeah. right? So this is the one that. Everyone immediately realized the combo of Grim Monolith and Basalt Monolith. And then from there, you, you, building it was not too hard. You're kind of looking for some payoffs with lots of colorless mana. You could try try and support Astrolabe to filter the mana, or you can just play like colorless bombs, which there's plenty. So you have the, both the new Khans, Khan Sign of Urza and Khan the Great Creator. Staff um, of Domination? That's seen some play as well, yeah. So... The combo is you get Zerda down and you tap a monolith for three mana and then either two or mana, depending on which monolith, you can untap it. So both of them create infinite mana. So with infinite mana, you obviously have Walking Ballista. It's the best mana sink. Mm. It's, it's the best mana sink in the rest of the non-combo games. But uh, some people are playing like four blisters in the main deck and then Khan the Great Creator is another payoff because you can minus two it to get either a blister or stuff of domination. There's also... Um, I always forget the name of the card, like Servo Foundry or something. Retrofits a Foundry. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. That's another yeah, payoff yeah, yeah. where you make yeah. infinite four fours and one one flyings and stuff. It doesn't win on the spot. So, um, yeah, there's, there's still quite a few different ways of building it. Although XJ and myself, we played it in the showcase qualifier on this this past Sunday. He made the top eight, and I came ninth place, which is lovely. I lost to him in a mirror and. Uh, it was, it was sad because one of us was going to make it after that, really. But, um, yeah, we've been speaking about it the last two weeks, and we went pretty deep. We were trying a lot of different things, a lot of different colors, and ultimately we ended up on just brown in the main deck. Like So you need to play white or red to cast Zerd in the beginning. But then, despite trying like Stoneforge Mystic, uh, we tried a, a cyborg plan of Chalice of the Voids and Blood Moons against Delver, and you just don't have the, the combo. Uh, like Red has some very good tools like Abraid is super good because it can kill Arcanist and Lurus and Delver and then Nullarod is a card that's pretty strong against the deck and Collector Roof as well exactly yeah but ultimately that's what I lost to because I also played the deck in the, oh, yeah. the challenge and I got blown out in three straight matches Ugh. by Nullarod because that card was yeah. just everywhere my, my feelings on Nullarod for the deck is currently Nullarod is not being played as much as it could be because all the Lurus decks are playing ball balls and stuff so we're not seeing Nullarod be played too much. You just you just got pretty unlucky to play against three of them. Uh, Oof is around. I'm playing, I, I think, white in the sideboard for Source of Power is good. So you bring that in against any Oof decks. So you do have an out to it, but you need to find that, obviously. But um, if Nullarod was like decided to be played more, I would, I would move off the deck. It's I think it's a good thing to have kept in check. But uh, back to the building of the deck. We both played white, basically, for sideboard Source of Power and that's it. There was another idea with, with Stoneforge Mystic. You can get Diviner's Wand, which is a equipment. And uh, it has a mana sink where a equipped creature gets four mana you can pay to draw a card. And so you draw a deck and play blisters. Um, but currently the deck feels pretty absurd. It's It can win on turn one, like not too hard, maybe like five to ten percent of the time. It, has, it plays a four drop on turn one, I'd probably guess around 40-ish percent of the time like either Khans or Mystic Forge, and it, it wins on turn two a lot, if unchecked. So 
it feels like if your opponent doesn't have a force of will, you're playing almost a different format. It's almost like vintage-esque. It's just so fast and so explosive. And if they have a force of will, well, like all the payoffs just have to be forced because they, they generate value as soon as they hit the board. So the Khans both obviously have, the Planeswalkers have activated abilities, they get some value off it, or the Mystic Forge can just start casting and churning through the deck. Like some games you just play it and you, you win that same turn off no mana because you hit some LEDs or Mox Opals and stuff. So currently it's been performing very well for me and XJ, as we said, and for you, I think you did pretty well with it. And this is it. Yeah, until like I all the, all the, the Nidrot Wall. Like earlier today, I was playing yeah. the deck again and I was like getting blown out by Nidrot okay. like left and right again. I don't know, like it's probably like bad luck, but I yeah. ran into Nidrot so much, I actually like returned the deck for now. And <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I, I don't beat Nidrot either. If they have it, I lose to it and that's fine. So if Nidrot becomes really popular, I think I'll just play something else as well. So fair enough. But um, considering Delver is like such a huge percent of the metagame and that's probably the toughest matchup. The fact that it's performing well through that just shows to me that if Delver took a hit, like this could really skyrocket and be insane. I think Nolra would probably still keep it in check to an extent, but it's, uh, I don't know. For anyone that likes artifacts and fast mana, I highly recommend the deck. It, it feels very, very strong. I really want to explore the Red Splash. Uh, I know you've been hesitant to really push for that. I kind of feel because you you didn't have the same experience with me. Like I I have PTSD <laughs> from Nairot. Like this is yeah. some serious shit. I, I dream about Nairot today. I, I but, do have Seal of Cleansing in the white deck, two of them. So I bring them in against. Yeah, yeah. I I upped it to three okay. immediately after. Yeah, that yeah. List. <laughs> yeah. I mean. But yeah, let's see how because that's Del- go. the thing is, Delver's not playing Nolrod because they have the ball balls and the engine explosives. I do, I do run into Nairod yeah. out of Delver. They just like ignore that. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. But it's it's more in, in like the mid-rangey decks, like all sometimes the non-companion decks, like against Eldrazi. Yeah. Not, like Eldrazi got me really good with that. And the I guess there's also the Yorin decks where everybody's playing 80 mm-hmm. cards now. And because when you play 80 cards, like the value of your sideboard cards goes down significantly, like quite significantly. So what you usually see is they play fewer different sideboard cards, but more yeah. copies of those. So in those decks, I often see four null rods. Okay, I saw uh, Echo Baron and had like four null rods and two collectors. Yeah, exactly. He had six of them. So he was ready. <laughs> he meant business. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's Surda for you. Uh, another one that has made quite a splash, almost like literally, is Geruda. Uh, the Geruda, the doom, the depths of doom, the dooms of depth, uh, something. And that's the, the six mana Kraken that says you can only play, I think, even converted mana costs. And when it comes into play, you mill both players for four, and then you take any of the, the eight cards, basically, any of the eight creature. Okay, let, <laughs> let me rephrase that. And then you take of those cards, any creature, and put it into play. And now we actually see what's happening, which we were talking about, I think, on the last or, or the episode before that, where we were, like, brainstorming the stack, and we we're like, okay, maybe, you know, if you play clones, and then we realized, oh, it, it has to be one of the milled clones, like, you can't reuse one that was previously milled, and then we basically discarded the deck from there, and I think that the first person to actually bring it up was Stefan Schulz. He was talking was about that? adding all the clones, yeah. He was doing that from quite early yeah. on. He was saying... This could be a meme. It could be broken. It's hard to tell. <laughs> and I think we still don't really know. Yeah, there, there's still like lots of stuff being discovered about the deck, but the deck has been building up results. Like it has put two people, uh, basically the same person twice in top eight of um, one of those challenges. And the deck is not bad. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've put it on YouTube. I think I got a four and one with it, but it's also quite yeah. fragile. Like The little point 
when there's Caracas on the first turn, when there's Sorts of Plowshares on the first turn, there, there, there's a lot of things that can yeah, go wrong with the first the challenge. Um, the player lost in the finals because of a bug as well. It was when Leyline was working versus the deck and it shouldn't. And so the player posted to Twitter some pictures of them losing to Leyline in the finals when they shouldn't. I hope they got reimbursed. Hope so too. I didn't see that actually. Hope so. But um, yeah. So maybe we should uh, ex explain that for a moment for people who are tuning in because yeah. I got confused by that as well. So why does Leyline so, not work against so this? We could explain the combo of the deck. So the deck's core has Garud as your companion and then three more in the main deck. And it uses fast mana like Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, Chrome Mox, Grim Monolith, and Ancient Tomb to cast the Garuda as fast as possible. So you can cast Garuda just off two Lion's Eye Diamonds. So the deck mulls pretty heavily for Lion's Eye Diamond. So once you cast it, at the ETB, as you explained, you mill both players for four, and you take a creature with even converts mana cost from those cards, put it into play. So there's lots of clones in Magic's Pass which have an even mana cost because the original clone had it. And there's very importantly one which is Spark Double from War of the Spark that has the clause that it clones something, but it takes away a le the legend super type. So That's pretty good. Yeah, so then you then you get like same for Sakashima the yes, Imposter. Yes, so Sakashima the Imposter takes it keeps the legendary creature type, but has a different name. Yeah, oh, so you can, you can only have one Sakashima in play, but once you hit a Spark Double, every clone after that can clone the Spark Double that isn't legendary. And so you end up with a board of like 10 or more Garudas. And then the deck plays Colligan, something, something, Angry Dragon, which gives all your creatures haste. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's how the, how the R&D <laughs> meetings goes. Uh, Ed Wizards are like, okay, this is Colligan. Colligan, bra, angry, angry, angry Dragon. Dragon. <laughs> yeah. He looks pretty angry. Yeah. Or she. So um, that's, that's the deck's like general game plan as very poetic as it is you just mill both players lows you get loads of garudas and you attack them with loads of garudas or you can mill them out like if you hit clone after clone after clone like both players just mill the deck also plays restoration angel which is like a extra clone that you can blink the garuda and stuff um so back to the leyline question is leyline i'm going to just pull up the actual text of leyline the void because it's very specific it's a it's a replacement, replacement effect that happens when a card would go to the graveyard. It's put on. Yeah, so Garuda instead. says you choose a card from the cards flipped. I'm gonna put it up as well because so Garuda is when into the middle for each player, but the top four cards of the library graveyard. Put a creature card with an even mana cost from among those cards onto the battlefield under your control. So before the the trigger has finished resolving, you are putting that creature into play. Like I'm not sure if you'd say technically from the graveyard, but that trigger has to finish resolving before the replacement effect takes place. No, no? that's not how it works. Correct. So, um, <laughs> Sorry. <okay. laughs> it's, it's quite complicated. So the replacement effects are applied immediately. There's, there's, that's basically not like other trigger abilities or something. Like a re replacement effect can be applied during the resolution of, of any I spell. See, yeah. like, it's one of the fastest, like it's faster than split second. If, split, like, split that doesn't second. really make sense if you really know how split second works. But yeah, it's the thing is, it says put any of those cards into play. And the card still exists as a uniquely identifiable card, right? It still exists in Exile. Exile is not a hidden zone. Exile, like people put cards into Exile face down a lot of the time, but it's actually mm -hmm. face up. And the Leyline applies the replacement effect, but then Garuda is like, okay, whatever. It's still the same card to me. It's just in a different zone. So that makes more sense. I, puts I that into play. The, yeah, that's why it works. The thing that stops it is Graftiga's Cage, because Graftiga's Cage 
does stop uh actually no, how, oh my god how, <laughs> i probably gotta cut this out so why does graph diggers cage stop it oh because oh no no yeah that does yeah i got it I, like graph diggers cage stops it if it's alone like if it's just graph diggers cage it stops it because the card goes into the graveyard from the trigger and then it can't leave the graveyard there's like graph diggers cage blocking it but if there's ley line then the replacement effect is applied and the graph diggers cage is like, hey, I'm guarding this graveyard, but nobody's coming into this graveyard in the first place. What am I doing here? And like, I don't know. There's like 20 krakens outside the door. <laughs> like, okay, I did my job anyway. That, that's how what graph diggers cage does. So if you play Leyline and graph diggers cage, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. Like you, you really only want to play graph diggers cage if this is what you want to stop. Like you don't want to play Leyline, and you certainly don't want to play Leyline and graph diggers cage in the same deck. Nice. That's a good uh, summary. Yeah. Now here's an interesting thing. And I think this is bugged in Magic Online. And it's kind of telling that I feel like we really haven't had anybody step in on Twitter yet and correct that because usually that happens pretty quickly. You know, the thing about like the best way to get the correct answer is to, is to state the wrong <laughs> answer so on true. the internet. <laughs> you can get progenitus into play with this. And the problem I have with that, at least you can do that on Magic Online, right? I think you shouldn't be able to do that in paper because the way progenitus works is if it would go to the graveyard, it's basically the leyline clause, right? Instead, it's put into your library. Now, the library is a hidden zone, and you can't uniquely identify the, the progenitors in your, in your library anymore. So, I don't think you should be able to get progenitors with Garuda, but right now you still can, and that's actually a really big deal, because one way to avoid the problem that Garuda always has, that is, like, your Garuda gets removed in response to a trigger, so the clones can't copy anything, is... You can hope to hit one of your three remaining Garudas. Yeah, I mean, that sometimes happens. Or you can side in four Progenitus. And then if you hit like a Progenitus, you still get like a turn, uh, a turn one Progenitus uh, for, for six mana, which is like a good deal. So I don't think that should work, but it does work. And maybe once this podcast comes out in like two days, we'll eventually have like a proper explanation for why it should work. But I've only like seen some stuff on Facebook where judges were talking about how it shouldn't work, and like my intuition about this is also that it shouldn't it work. It sounds like it shouldn't work to me as well. But I saw people talk about this and run away because it sounds too complicated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, your your reasoning sounds right about the hidden zone of the library. But um, yeah, let's let's try and find out. Like uh, put in the show notes after. Yeah, I, I guess we were. So I mean, what's more interesting to me right now is. Um, where do you write Garuda in the way it's currently built, right? There's still, like, so many innovations coming into Garuda. Um, there's Thoughtnots here, which is, like, being played right now because that's another way to sometimes just, like, out-temper your opponent but also take away their removal spells so you can protect Garuda. Um, do, do you think the deck is, like, has lags? I think so. It's, I still can't really make up my mind about it. It's very powerful. I mean, it's a deck that can win on turn one. Like, it's abusing one of the most powerful cards in the format and lands a diamond. It's... It's kind of weirdly hard to interact with from non-blue decks past like Caracas or Swords of Plowshares. And then it has this weird pivot into you're playing Fast Mana and Restoration Angels and Thornaught Seers, as you said, which is a really, really good addition to the deck. The deck also plays Chalice of the Void sometimes. So I've seen a lot of screenshots from people just killing them with Thornaught Seers and Restoration Angels and stuff. And just random six draws. Yeah, didn't Max Max actually post yeah, something exactly. about this earlier today? So he had a very cool play where <laughs> his opponent was on Thoughtlash and they milled every card on their deck. So he cast Restoration Angel flickering a Thoughtnot Seer to make them draw a card in response to a Thassa's Oracle. Very oh, cool. Zero 
I got a Doomsday player with Geruda when when they Doomsdayed, <laughs> and then I got Geruda and stole yeah, their Oracle. their Thassa's so Oracle, cool. and so they they basically they tur- they decked. <laughs> he does some really funny things. I was playing with in Modern last night, and I kept stealing random creatures. And then you then you have these all these clones in the deck, so you keep copying things like against Eldrazi Tron, I hit a Thornot Seer, but no clone, so I had a Thornot Seer, and I just played like two Phantasmal Images next turn, and took all their hand and killed them with them. But um. Yeah, so I think the deck's power level is pretty high. High enough to keep an eye on it, keep playing it. People will keep playing it because it's quite funny as well. Um, the fact that like you can play a Source of Plowshares or a Pyroblast on the original Garuda, then they have to hit one of the three in the deck. It's pretty bad for it, but you can play Defense Grid. So, yeah, my, my, my feelings are it's strong, I think, but it's it still needs maybe a bit more work, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, my problem with the deck is, like, I was trying to customize it as well, especially once we, like, started discussing Thought Nuts here. You have so few slots that you can really work with. There's, like, the three or four slots that are the defense grids or Thought Nuts here, and then there's really not much else. Because you, like, the, the, the most successful list thus far, the one that put two, uh, that put the same guy twice into the top eight, they played 22 clones. And then you play your, like, I don't know, 18 to 20 lands or something. Or that sounds lands. I don't know, It doesn't matter. And the, I think... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the, the list that Max had sent me had like 20 yeah. clones. And then sometimes you even take out two clones after sideboarding because you just got to make room. And then if you want to like innovate more of the non-mana, non-clone deck, uh, non-part of the deck, there's really yeah. not much left. There's there's so few things you could. So I am actually wondering whether like the clone thing is, is like nice, but the future of the deck might be something else. I don't know. Maybe you even like you set up your Geruda mm-hmm. or something. Because something I've seen that Aurum has been doing uh, Orm67, he's been working on a list that's more like Black Red Reanimator Geruda that, that would like basically put Grizzlebrand into play with it, like occasionally, because Grizzlebrand also has like an even mana cost. Someone joked that we, we finally know why it didn't cost seven mana. <laughs> <laughs> because it would have been so so broken at seven, right? <laughs> <Yes. to eight. laughs> well, no, it has to work with Garuda, yeah. exactly. But yeah, with Garuda, it's it's kind of funny. Like I, I almost rather want to play against like blue decks than against non-blue decks because the the, the sorts of plowshares on Garuda and the Garuda yeah. is just so annoying. I mean, you get to replay it sometimes if you like, if you if you had a heavy mana hand that doesn't rely on like one-shot spells like Lions of Diamond. I, I've been in positions where I basically cast Garuda every turn, and eventually you find another yeah. Garuda, and then you just keep it is going. a six-six as well. It's like so. that's pretty big for Legacy. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, these days, maybe. right? So yeah, I, I guess those are the most impactful ones. I mean, there's still Yorian. That's the one I had. I only really have experience with, like from the other side of the board. And like from my perspective, it. I mean, it's kind of a pretty pretty blanket statement. I think it's not worth to play the eighty card. Like I, I've never really fully gotten on board with why they want to like play eighty cards and Yorian. And this comes from a guy who's gotten so much shit for occasionally playing sixty one cards and is like the best thing this card does is make elves players jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I want those 80 cards. So elves will put, what about Euron elves with 81 cards? Do you think that could work? Uh, yeah, but I think there's no point in like doing that, right? <laughs> Blink because, visionary. Like, a, a problem with Urian is like, yeah, but <laughs> the thing is like Urian, you would think like the, the, the level one players, okay, I'm going to play the same ratio of spells and mana and everything, but your variance is higher. So if you still want to like play the, the same amount of games that are non-games, you actually got to have a higher 
number of mana sources. So you would actually like your, your density of spells that actually do something is lower because your your mana to deck size ratio needs to be higher if you want to play the same number at the same percentage of actual games. So overall, you're you're weakening your deck. I mean, not only because you, I mean, you obviously are playing cards that wouldn't make the card in a sixty card deck. You're also playing more lands. At least you should. And the payoff is that you get this extra card, but the payoff doesn't sound worth it to me. Like it's it's a five mana sorcery thing that basically draws you. I don't know three that's, four that's cards. That's really one control once. Maybe though, I more. Think. I I think the deck is. Yeah, but I think you can get that with 60 cards as well. Maybe. The thing is, it's, what it does in control decks is, is the same power of what Lurus does for Delver. Where Lurus Delver, you don't need to like ha- keep um, a threat in hand. With control decks, where they had some problems they have is their hand is all removal. Like, as an elves player, you'll definitely know this. The easiest hands to beat are the ones where they just have all removal, but yeah. then nothing to pull them ahead. This is the, the pulling ahead that they always wanted to always have in hand at the end of using all their interaction. So you, so what I'm saying is they are already quite far ahead if they ever get to the point where they already have like a couple of those things in play, like the snakes well, they could just or, have like or two or whatever. and a snake. And that's not ahead. Yeah, but then, but if you resolve a five drop on that board, no matter whether it's Yorian or something, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the yeah. extra card, right? I think the extra card I is think probably that's like, the it eventually really. comes down to the extra card. So I'm, I'm not sure if it's worth yeah. it either. I think like, the, the Lurus Miracles deck is very, very strong, and we'll start to see more of it. That's probably a better version of Control if you want to be taking it in this format. But Yeah, the Lurus yeah. one I can I can really but, appreciate. Like that, that one like that gets me really excited because that also solves the problem that Chase is like really bad mm-hmm. right now. And it doesn't even like need to or it's not even allowed <laughs> to play Chase, but it also doesn't matter. It's, it's really like a classic Miracles deck, it feels like, with all the top manipulation, counterbalances, predict. It's very fun to play. Yeah, and that deck has been doing pretty mm-hmm. well as well, right? Let me actually pull up the numbers again. We got that at like seven top eights over the four challenges, which is like five wow. percent. That's basically the same as like Eldrazi, Bagdava, A and T test. So, and that's especially during the last yeah. two challenges. So I can only see those numbers going up even higher. Like that deck is There's really some- cool. And also, some people call it Lyricus. <laughs> that's the most stupid name I've ever heard. The stupidest name ever. I think I think I first coined that by. Okay, by you're out, dude. Rest the door. <laughs> <laughs> we can change it. What do you prefer? Like, meowicles? Um, that's that, we're going to leave that to the crowd. Like, let, let the people decide <laughs> unless they, they pick lyricals. Come on. My, my stay in the tunnel weekend has been fun. I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's been doing really well. Um, so I hope we're going to see more of that because, like, for as much as I hate the extra card Terminus, I think Miracles without top is actually, like, a pretty cool deck to have in the format because it really, like gives you that kind of play style that we used to have where you play like aggro or mid-range decks against, I mean aggro decks are really terrible against mm-hmm. it I mean there's a reason like we don't really have very good aggro decks in the format anymore unless they're unattacked of like Eldrazi um, but yeah it, it gives you that classic thing that we used to have where you play like your mid-range deck against I want to say like Landstill or anything like to me playing an aggro or mid-range deck against a control deck is probably the highest form of art that we have in, in Legacy or generally Eternal Magic right now because it's such a delicate balance to strike and you got to identify when the control deck is weak and stuff and when, when, when like when you commit or when you should not commit. Or, and that, that's just like, that's what you get from playing against Miracles. And that's why I've always been saying ever since Top was banned, playing against Miracles is one of the most interesting, coolest things we have in Legacy. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we got that around. 
So yeah, this week we got a listener question uh, coming from Sean Dewey from our Discord that you can get into by supporting us on patreon.com slash everydayeternal, which helps me like produce and run the show. So thanks a lot for everybody in that. We, we, like, we really appreciate all your support that you've been giving us for, I think, almost one and a half years by now. So thank you so much for that. Sean is asking, I think the question is actually pretty interesting because depending on what the answer is going to be, it might also illustrate how powerful Lurus is. Uh, Lurus is? Lurus is, is, is whatever. <laughs> this, this is basically how you speak when you're <laughs> drunk, right? I, I know something about that. If you could play one Black Lotus in your Legacy deck, but it plays like normal, so without a companion, would you play that over a one of Lurus as your companion if you were forced to pick between the two? So basically... You get to play any legacy deck without a companion and you have a one of Black Lotus in it that you might draw. Or you play a legacy deck without Black Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> but you have Lurus as a, your companion. Which one would you pick? Karen? I would pick the Lurus. I think it's... To pick the Black Lotus, I think you'd need to have a deck with like tutors to find it fast and easily and then abuse it. But I think it's more telling to the strength of the actual mechanic companion plus power level of Lurus. That I, would, I would definitely pick the Lurus. Yeah, I think I would also like pick the Lurus, and I think it's not yeah. even like anywhere close. Like, if if you give me two Black Lotus, I would actually mm-hmm. start thinking like there's probably some broken stuff you could do, and like at three, I will I would say the question made me look at it and but, read it for like a good minute, thinking, okay, obviously Black Lotus is broken. Wow, you can do so many things, and then it's like, yeah, but you don't just get it. It's it's such a huge thing. Like Lurus, <laughs> yeah, I think it, it after thinking about it for a minute or two, it was pretty clear to me. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like reshape. So you basically pay like two blue I to get reshape exactly play or something well. and then yeah. set up for a big... Or a transmute, yeah. transmute artifact. I actually have like 12 copies nice. of it here. Yeah, but that one's really expensive. <laughs> can, can we spike reshape? I got a, top, I'm I got sure a bunch we can. of those lying around because I somebody told me I should buy it because it's like really good and modern than it did. <laughs> it, it's, one of, it's one of those <laughs> random little cards that's it's super powerful effect. So it could definitely spike off the back Eventually, of something. Yeah. So yeah, keep hold of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's going to be yeah. our question. I, I think that's what most people in the format who've been playing with Lurus so. pick right now. I, I can't even like imagine anyone picking the. Black you would have to have thing. yeah, but it's also like a lot of other deck building things thing. around the Black Lotus and yeah, yeah, yeah. So let let's move on into into our last segment, and that's hot and new texts that are going on in the format right now. And like for as much shit as people have been giving companions. They also have had some super interesting impact on new decks that are being played right now. And I think first and foremost, the most interesting one is the White Weenie that actually won one of the challenges. Like, we, would you call, still call it like Death in Texas? There's always this discussion about what's actually the core of a deck. Like, what does it mean to be a certain deck? And I've been pretty vocal about like all the four or five color snow decks not being miracle decks anymore. But with like the the new deck that plays Mox Amber and Lotus Petal instead of Wild. They also cut Flicker Wisp. They, I'm not even sure if they play Stoneforge. Like, that deck feels like a super heavy aggro deck centered around Kithian, like the one mana Kithian that flips if you attack with three Isamaru. creatures. And also just abusing Moxemba. Classic Isamaru. Isamaru. Back, yeah. Three Isamaru's. I love that card for absolutely no reason. It's just really cool. <laughs> well, it's a dog. I guess dogs are great. That's why. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would call it White Weenie, I think is more accurate. I saw some discussion around it. I posted the list on Twitter after seeing it one because it got sent to me by a friend because I was quite excited by the deck. And I called it Death and Taxes there. And then I saw some discussion on Reddit from a few people. And I think Death and Taxes is much more on the yeah, controlly side because 
you said does it play stone forge mystic and it can't play battle skull or swords or fire and ice and stuff so i think it didn't so um it's definitely beat downy and it, but it's really taking advantage of delver being so good so it has leon and arbiter and four ghost quarters as well so it's a heavy heavy like mana denial deck which death and texas kind of was with richard and port but this is like supercharging it and turning up the uh, the speed of it with Lotus Petal and turn one Leon and Arbiters can just completely win games. It's always been a kind of card that people have made fun of, but currently there's lots of fetch lands and very few basic lands, so it's just a really, really smart deck building in my opinion. Yeah, and what's so fascinating to me is how it makes Mox Ember work. Like I've seen some absurd starts out of the deck with Mox Ember and Lotus Petal where they even get turn one Lurus down and then they get to replay the Lotus Petal and play another creature. Yeah. This is just, like, so out of control. And they also they have six, like, depending on how you build it, like, six to eight one-mana uh, one-drops in Kithia and Isamaru. And, yeah, I, you know what I like the most about this deck? What I really, really like about the deck? It's cheap. I would think it's cheaper than most I legacy decks. Yeah. I mean, it still plays four Wastelands, and I don't know what Caracas is these days. Yeah. But other than that, it's like Mox, 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 Mox like, Amber uh, really it's like expensive. like 10 euros roughly-ish. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it must be okay. pretty cheap. But yeah. overall, it's and it's it, it looks powerful. I've played against it, and it, it really got me good at times, especially Leon in Abita as a card not to be like... Yeah, I've not actually played against it or seen it in action, but just looking at the list and working out the play patterns, my, my immediate reaction was, wow, this must beat Delver. Especially... And we're gonna it, link it, it in the show. It, like we're gonna list link all of the the decks in the show notes. It's especially here. good against the the direction that Delvers are going to beat each other, like the nimble mongooses, the stifles, the whatever. It's it's very good against that. So it's the classic death and taxes used to be so good against Canadian Thresh years back. This is just the new death and taxes versus the new Canadian Thresh, like to beat each other. We were talking earlier about how good Caracas is currently. It has three of them just to keep bouncing all the other legendary creatures. You know what it also has? A card that got Go. me really good. Draenith Megastrat. That's actually the guy who looks like, I don't know, like like your fellow <laughs> Brits, Pleasant Kenobi wins. I don't know, he yeah. always, like, if he had an invitational card, this is I'll what it, it would look like. And what this one does is, it's a colorless and a white, one, three. Your opponent can't cast spells from, from anywhere other than their hands. This actually stops anything basically companion related uh, lures related you can't play lures you can't play companions anymore you can't play your stuff from the graveyard anymore this card is so fucking annoying i can like i really can't describe how annoying this card i played with uh, against of giruda yeah. like this t- entirely shots of giruda unless you i guess get giruda from your hands which yeah. doesn't happen that often it's hard to do without led yeah the card i've only played against it once so far and i was on zerder and it didn't really do too much because i had cons and stuff but i, I can see it being quite <laughs> It's okay. I don't know. It, to me, it doesn't look great, honestly. It feels like one of those cards where, like, it'll have a small subset of games where it does what it's meant to do, and it's really strong, and it, it could single-handedly win a game. But it's also a 1-3, so, like, if you have it against... Like, a lot of the Lurus decks are just, like, shock a block with removal, like, lightning bolts everywhere. Um, yeah, but you're also, like, you're playing Mother of Runes, you're playing Giver of Runes, and... I mean, there's also other stuff you want to get, like Thalia really want to get rid of. I guess you have Caracas, but that, that also gets Wasteland. That's like, the deck is just yeah. annoying. So I can see the magistrate um, in this deck, actually. You make a good point. But in other decks, I've not been very impressed with it. Yeah, in other decks, it's, there's probably like better stuff you can yeah. do with that slot. I just really like it like it here. Something else I noticed is that um, I, I guess Eddie Samura is known as the godfather of, of humans. At least that's basically like, you know how, how yeah. a certain decks 
have certain people like the go-to people which doesn't like mean they're the best or anything like people always have me as like their the go-to guy for apps and i like the, I sometimes feel it's like they're <laughs> overdoing it and but yeah eddie is like very well known for for humans as well and he also recently started playing lotus petal over a while and when i asked him he just said that like wild is too slow mm -hmm. like this and <laughs> that doesn't cut up for humans anymore which honestly like makes me wonder whether humans is good enough in the first place because like the wild interactions were somewhat of a big part of the deck because he could put some put some really cool stuff with yeah, it yeah I, i think it can be he's obviously like lowered the curve because you have to because of uh Luris, so like no more recruiters and stuff like that but i think he's got the right idea to build the deck because he's going to play humans whether it's good or not right so um i think he's like it's a very good idea to real but rebuild it in this same vein like he saw that dmt if you want to call it that like took these strides to become faster to like be in tune with the format and take advantage of such strong cards like lurus and so he correctly identified that i think he said he five the first league is already as well so smart deck building it's kind of funny that we talk about how these decks uh, these two specific decks are trying to become faster whereas Diver has become the mid-range deck because in the past it always kind of used to be like especially Death and Texas against Diver like Death and Texas was the control deck and and Diver would try to get there before they would lose the game basically um to to like the better cards and now it almost feels like when I'm playing Cheska Diver like I feel like I'm the control deck against this kind of deck and I will eventually grind them out and I just got a better storm and and make it to turn six or something when when my better engine or my almost runs I will shine. Yeah. I wonder if maybe maybe it isn't the way humans should go. Like humans probably can grind or outdo Delver. Potentially. Uh -huh. Like I think I think uh DNT probably did need to speed up because I think it's kind of fallen a bit behind the rest of the format in general. But humans has a higher power level, maybe less consistent than DNT, but maybe it doesn't need to be as fast. I'm not sure. Kind of we'll see. guessing. Yeah. The last deck I want to talk about tonight is uh, Jeff Lin's Blue White Tempo deck, because Jeff has actually like been doing really well on Magic Online lately. Uh, not even like lately, last couple of one two months or something. And this deck is so 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 different from anything we've seen in the format in the last ten years. Like the last time we saw Blue White Tempo be an actual deck in Legacy was ten years ago. I I don't know if you've been around back then. I wasn't playing then. No. So so I'm gonna give you the very short story of this. There was a thread on on the source. And it's called Blue White Tempo. And you go into it and it had all these weird cards like Weathered Wayfarer and Knight of the White Orchid. I, th I think they used to play even more of those. And Rexing Sphinx. And they only played like two other wilds because they never wanted to draw a second one. Uh, Jotun Grunt was like, Jotun Grunt was like a legacy mainstay. And I, I sometimes wonder whether it's going to come back. But yeah, <laughs> actually, maybe it should. It's, it's a 4 4 that takes away Lurus stuff. Oh my God, we just broke the format. But yeah, so this was the format. And this threat was kind of a shit show, like one of the biggest shit shows in the history of the source. Like there's Thunder Bluff, where they basically made a fake deck and and like people really one. bought into it. That like, tr um, yeah, <laughs> Minotaur yeah. Tribal. Is it uh, Anubi Grunt? But yeah, the Blue Eye Tempo deck was legit. But those guys and I didn't know. Like Jeff was one of those two guys. There were I don't remember the their exact nicknames, but like. I only learned, much later learned that Chef is actually one of those guys. Fathom C has another card. Yeah, Fathom C has a card. Okay, I, I guess we gotta, yeah, we gotta explain what that one does. That that's a morph, and you can unmorph it for I think two, like a blue and a colorless, and return two islands to your hand, and then draw two cards or something. Is that how it works? Yeah, I don't even remember yeah, it's at this gush. Point. 
Yeah. It's basically gush, yeah. And like those guys, they got so much shit for the deck. But back then, like we didn't really post that much online results. Like I never really knew how good the deck really was. But now we see Jeff putting up like huge numbers with this yeah, deck, like top eighting every other, other tournament. It can't be honest with how insane he is. He's top eighted like three or four PTQs recently with his Esper Vile deck, which is only him playing and doing well with. And then he played this list in the Super Qualifier last Thursday and in the the playoff on Sunday. So he top eighted the playoff, lost in the semis with this blue-white deck. And I think I can't remember if he top eighted the the uh, Super Qualifier on Thursday because Magic Online hasn't posted those results, which is sad. But um, he, yeah. I think he did very well as well. So, yeah, it's it's completely... I don't think anyone else could build something like this, but it's very harkens back to the old Blue Eye Temple list. I, I looked them up because I was interested. So he's got like a. We should read out the deck, I guess, because it's oh, it's got like a, a main deck cataclysm. It's just crazy, <laughs> and he has Lurus's pet's companion as well. So he's backing everything up with dazes and force of wills, and there's so many little synergies I was looking at while going through the deck, like. There's things which, like, Weathered Wayfarer with Fetchlands is really cute because you can fetch and hold priority and activate the Wayfarer with the fetch ability on the stack when you have less lands. Um, Fathom Seer with Cataclysm is, like... The, maybe you should quickly mention what oh, sure. Wayfarer does. Wayfarer basically means uh, it, it's a white one-drop and you can activate it for a white and tap it and search your library for any land card and put it into your hand, but you can only activate it when you have fewer lands. The new opponent in play. So, like Gala mentioned, you would basically crack a fetch land hard priority activated. So, because like for this short moment, you'd have fewer lands. And like there's also like synergies like days. When you get to days, you get to use your, basically your trading um, tempo for card yeah. advantage with it. And also the Fathom Seer and uh, like returning lands. And then this is just such a good cataclysm deck, right? Because you keep returning these lands. And so you cataclysm, and then you have all these lands <laughs> in your hand. You can start playing again. I wonder if he ever dazed his own cataclysm just to have the extra <laughs> land and then paid for uh, it. Yeah. I mean, also, you, 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 can, you can wasteland your opponent and in response to the wasteland, yeah. activate the Wayfarer. That's, oh, this deck. I got to play this deck as well. And then he, now he has obviously Lurus to rebuy everything as well. Yeah, and Ventress Gargoyle is like the 4-5 flying for two mana that can, I think, only attack or block when something happens. I don't remember. Like your graveyard needs to be a certain size. It can only attack if you have seven cards in your graveyard or more. And it can't block unless you have four more cards in your hand. So it's just more synergies. So it has you put cards in the graveyard because you're playing Brainstorm and Mishra's Bauble and like these and whatever. So getting to attack is a little bit harder, I think. But having four more cards in hand, dude, imagine you have a Fathom Seer morphed and your opponent has no idea what's going on. And they attack with their Delver of Secrets because, oh, you've got a Ventress Gargoyle that can't block. And then you just flip it up. You've got two lands and two new cards in your hand and it blocks. I think Ventress Gargoyle is... Outside of this deck, I've always think it's a really bad card, and people have I've seen people try it and Delver and stuff, and it looks terrible to me. But this is a deck that could actually take advantage of it because you are meeting the clauses like with pretty good uh, consistency, and it's it's just a good cheap finisher that you can play with Lurus. Like it also taps to mill both players for one, so you mill both players, and then you get more things to recast with Lurus as well. So it's again all. Jeff's mind is something else. He's very different to most people. I would put him as one of the most experimental. Like, yeah, like when you, when you speak to him about the deck, yeah, he, right? He he has thoughts. Has <laughs> so much him. to learn. <laughs> yeah, he has thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way he, to put he it. So, deep on this. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wonder so. whether we're going to see more of this 
Um, it's, it takes a certain mind to to play this deck because yeah. this is really something else. And this is like, a, I can't say a huge part of the history of Legacy, but a very, maybe the most under, one of the most underexplored parts in the history of Legacy. Like Blue White Tempo has always been this, mm-hmm. this thing that, people didn't really touch that because that also this bad reputation from the thread back then and then it basically disappeared for 10 years and now here it is again <laughs> i'm gonna go and read this thread after we've done recording it sounds amazing <laughs> but when i when i got back into legacy around in this thread i had heard of blue white tempo when i was like kind of getting into things it was definitely a known quantity as far as i could tell so it's pretty cool that it's back Nimble, Nimble Mongoose is back. Blue White Tempo is back. We're just going back to 2011, 12-ish. Sign me up. Sign me up, really. <laughs> like, for, for all the bad things, like, I still think something's going to happen to Lurus. I pr- probably don't think anything is going to happen to Companion in general because that's, like, I don't think Wizards would want to take that step right now because it's just this new thing and it's, like, you know how they, they have this vision for it, I would think, and... I would imagine in the near future it's going to be like, okay, we overshot the target with Lurus. That's probably going to be gone yeah. in basically every format almost. <laughs> and then then we'll see from there. Because I don't really see them banning, for example, LED or Mishra's Bob. Like the, the, there's been thoughts floating around on Twitter lately. But like I re, like Wizards probably knows better than to ban LED and Legacy. That's I'd just like, so. that's a few basically. I'd be devastated if they did. It's a, it's yeah, a huge part. That's like if you're a restricted workshop in Vintage. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be less devastated about that, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not as invested in that. That's kind of a joke. But uh, yeah, I, I would hate to see like a pillar of the format take any kind of hit. Like even like Mistress Bulb is not a pillar of the format by any stretch of the means, but even that it's kind of like it, it plays a role in Mox Opal decks and stuff. Like it has stuff. Lurus has contributed to good gameplay and good deck building, but at the cost of a lot of other decks. Like it's a pretty high cost. And I, I think I agree with you that I'm sure it will be banned at some point. It's it's just too much for Legacy to handle, really. But Something yeah. cool you can do with Lurus um, that I noticed, for example, uh, Newton, who just won the Legacy of... Fuck, I, is it the, the Legacy qualifier. qualifier? Showcase yeah. Qualifier with Elves. And he, he's done the most interesting thing with any companion this yet. This is insane. I love because it. he's actually yeah. like playing Lurus in the sideboard of the Elf deck. Which obviously, like you can't reveal it because you play Kratov Behemoth, and that that that's just too expensive. But now there's like two scenarios. One scenario, like I've I've picked up the deck afterwards as well, to, just to get a feel for it again, because like the Reclaimer version is quite different from the regular Elf's version. And now you can do two things: either you side in Lurus against the the midrange decks, where you still want Natural Order for Progenitors, because especially the eighty card decks, they are somewhat low on actual counter magic. And then when you bring in four thought seizers, it's even harder for them to ever get like uh, a force to, to connect to a, for a natural order. So you just have this as an additional mid-range tool. And as such, it's actually pretty good. Like if you get Lurus down and rebuy Spire with Symbiote, that's already like pretty good for you, even if you end up losing Lurus. Or you go the full companion route because against Delva, especially on the draw, you often side out all your natural orders and your targets because you... Like, it's never really gonna, it's so hard to make it work. And now you actually use Lurus as a companion because now you don't have all these expensive drops anymore. Now you can actually reveal Lurus at the beginning of the game. And that does cost you. I mean, not only because you side out the cards, because, but also because your opponent knows that you sided out Kratom of Beomoth. They know that you probably can't kill them on this turn. You still, like, you still can put yourself in a really good position because you still have, like, all your removal spells and. 
that's just something I really like about this Lyris because against Delva, the three to body with lifelink, we talked about it earlier, is more relevant for elves. Than, like, like I talk about elves sometimes. Like if you watch, like barely anybody watches all my VODs, right? But I sometimes talk about I wish we had more life gain in elves, and bam, now we got this as well. Yeah, and it's able to rebuy all the stuff from the graveyard. I think this is this is definitely in my top like three coolest things I've seen people do with companions. Maybe even the best one. I I didn't like I've seen people try and uh, work out ways to have it in the sideboard and only like board into it and stuff. But it makes so much sense here because especially as you are boarding out these natural orders already against Delver, and it's such a good card against Delver as well. Yes, fantastic, just genius. So really, really cool. Yeah. So I wonder how many other. And that, that, that's do. what you get from companions. Yeah, it is. It is. There's positives. We're just going to see if they outweigh the negatives. Yeah. So I, I guess Lurus will be fixed, <laughs> <laughs> or, or rather, like I think if put they down. just if they but just change the it to cards in your deck have to be two or less. Cards in your deck, yeah. So something else that has been floating around us, where people are basically saying you can exchange any card in your opening hand for your companion. Uh, so you mm-hmm. you don't get the advantage of the uh, of the plus one. Uh, that, that would be very fixed as well. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's basically a power level errata. I don't think it would be very good. Doesn't then. Doesn't really go well. I don't think uh, they'd be very good then, or maybe maybe just enough good enough to play a bit. But I think that they wouldn't be very. Pl- it's also interesting because it basically fixes Geruda, right? Because then you can't can't LED it that's anymore. True. Yeah. I think, yeah. So let's see what Wizards is going to be up to with this. Um, I hope that's going to be changed because for as much as I especially enjoy the Diver Mirrors right now and the new stuff that has been introduced, I still think there needs to be changes, but... Um, yeah. I kind of want it to ca- carry on for a I don't want to be too months. negative about <laughs> it because I, 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 I strongly believe that like the way Legacy is looking right now and it's being played is going to change in the short run, but... It's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess we're, we're going to leave it. Yeah. That, um, I, I do want it to carry on, but for for the gameplay, as we said, it'd be fun to keep playing for for a bit and see, see if more ideas like Newton's idea with Lurus comes out. Like there could be so many like little hidden things of how to build and cyborg with the companions that I like to discover. But eventually, like slogging through the control decks and the and the Delver decks after months of this might be a bit too much. Yeah, I guess we're going to leave with that. Um, it's also going to be interesting once the companions release in paper. I guess people don't really get to play them um, in most places in the world right now. But that's that's going to... I don't know. If it's going to be as bad as people are making it, and I mean, I'm part of like giving companions a bad rep right now, but if that happens in paper as well, I think that the pushback against them will be even greater. But maybe it's really just Lurus. I think the paper pushback will be like, even more because people like playing with their older decks. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, I think with that, we are going to call it a day now. Uh, Caleb, are you going to make more music today? Uh, actually, I do have my guitar next to me. No, I think I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna play some drafts. I'm in the mood. But actually, I'm, I'm going to play some of Nushin's Elves as well because I just love this idea awesome. of Lurus sideboard. So, yeah. Awesome. Good luck with Thank that. You. So, yeah. Actually, I can't even say thanks for coming on the show. You're, like, you're part of the team well, now. You you're like in the team now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still, thanks for, for, for making the time My tonight. Pleasure. So, if you want to support the show, you can do that in many different ways. First of all, just let us know how you like the show. Let us know in the comments on Reddit, on Twitter. I guess that's it. <laughs> Send us a letter. <laughs> uh, just spread the word about Everyday Eternal. We are at EternalMTG on Twitter. 
or leave a review on iTunes. Like if you leave an iTunes review with like a five-star review, you make it so that if anybody like comes to Legacy and they're like, oh, Legacy Podcast, bam, there you got it. Everyday channel. Okay, let me check out that. So you can help out that way. Or if you want to help support the running of the show or anything that's associated with that, you can also head to patreon.com slash everydayjournal and become a subscriber for our podcast. Um, is it called subscri- a Patreon of our podcast, we call it. So if that's something you want to do, we really, really appreciate it. And with that, I want to give shout-outs to some of our most loyal patrons on the Eternal Witness tier, Matt Nimes, Valerio, James Slack, and Victor Bernans. As well as on our Grizzle Brand top tier, Bajubat, Scott Monroe, Kudosh SDA, and Jeremy Gates. Thank you so much for that. And Caleb, where can people find you on, on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, I am WhitefacesMTG. And otherwise, my name is Callum Smith. You can probably see me around on Facebook groups and stuff. And obviously on Magic Walking Online. through London, eating fish and chips. Yes, yeah. Always. That's all, that's all we eat here. <laughs> but also Magic <laughs> Online, I'm white faces there. So you'll probably run into me playing some Legacy there. <laughs> awesome, cool. man. So with that, we're going to call it a day. I hope you guys are going to stay safe and enjoy. Like, honestly, like to me, I almost don't dare to say it, but I kind of been enjoying the last month where everything has been slowed down a lot, lot, lot. Like there's other stresses like existential dread <laughs> just, just <a> <laughs> like job related stuff like oh my god what's gonna come next but overall like the way everything has slowed down and stuff has been has become more i don't know like when i go into the supermarket now like rarely i'm much more okay i need this 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 and this like cons- not considerate yeah. but more focused i don't know how i would want to call it i know what you mean but i can't find the word either <laughs> but yeah that, that that's basically what's been happening to me and I, I feel like i i've been enjoying the quite a lot i think i've been talking about that there was a there was an article by a german newspaper like a really big german newspaper and for a couple of years they've basically been asking their readers every single day online how they feel like how's your day going and ever since the lockdown has started in germany and and like late march the uh the thing has gone up like significantly. Like people have have un- you, you could say there's some selection bias. Maybe there's new people coming in to answer these questions who are generally more happy for like some outside reason. But yeah, it, it was so so different that I, I noticed it. I'm, I'm. I don't know how you how you've been. Yeah, feeling. I'm actually getting through it. Like I'm working though, so I work Monday to Friday still. Because uh, in this music company, everyone else is working from home, apart from me and one other tech guy, and we go into the office at different times. So I'm really, really happy I'm able to work. So I get out of the house, cycle to and from work every day. So it's I think without that, I might be suffering a bit more from it. So I'm, I consider myself quite lucky to be able to do that. But um, otherwise, yeah, I'm actually enjoying not the, having the social pressure of going out and seeing people for a bit it sounds <laughs> sounds very first world problem remi- right but yeah that reminds me of the story you told at the beginning of your of your ex-girlfriend <laughs> she was like hey you shouldn't be going out you should just like we're going back now yeah, yeah. Up magic online <laughs> yeah I don't know. Uh, okay so with that have a great time thank you and see you again next time for the next everyday channel thank you bye bye all right thanks for listening this week and uh we'll see you all next time 